Hi, and welcome to Beauty Curious. My name is Dr. Elise Love, and I am a board-certified dermatologist. And I'm Ian Michael Crum, a licensed esthetician. Ian and I are excited to become your trusted beauty guides, from interviews with the best and brightest names in the industry to sharing our favorite expert-approved products. We are here to help you navigate the noise by giving you the facts. Are you feeling beauty curious? Let's dive into today's episode. Hi guys, I have the pleasure of introducing you all to one of my sheroes in the dermatology space. Dr. Hale is one of those people that when I'm asked about her, I just say, I cannot recommend her enough. And it doesn't matter the context of the conversation. Dr. Elizabeth Hale is a board-certified dermatologist. She is a clinical associate professor of dermatology at New York University Langone Medical Center and co-owns her own practice, Complete Skin MD, with her equally amazing sister, Dr. Julie Karen. Dr. Hale specializes in Mohs micrographic surgery, cosmetic dermatology, and laser surgery, and teaches advanced dermatologic surgery for the NYU dermatology residents, which is how I was lucky enough to meet her. She has extensive experience in the field of skin cancer and is a longtime advocate for increasing public awareness of the disease. As a vice president of the Skin Cancer Foundation, she frequently volunteers her time on screening initiatives and public speaking events about the early detection and treatment of skin cancer. She also lectures extensively on the treatment of photoaging with the latest advances in lasers and injectables. In 2023, Dr. Hale was named a Castle Connolly Top Doctor in New York Super Doctors, as published in the New York Times Magazine. In 2002, she was again elected to New York Magazine's Best Doctors. As a widely respected dermatologist, Dr. Hale has frequently sought out and extensively quoted by national broadcasts, print, and online publications. She has lent her skincare expertise to hosts and editors from outlets such as CBS This Morning, Dr. Oz, Good Morning America, Huffington Post, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, Today with Kathy Lee and Huda, Yahoo News, as well as several national women's magazines, including Vogue, L, Harper's Bazaar, Fitness, Glamour, Allure, Self, 17, and Shape. And so I am more than excited and flattered that we have her here to talk about skin cancer awareness, what is melanoma, how do we prevent it, and how do we protect ourselves while we're having fun in the sun as we get into summer. All right, so let's kick this off. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Hale. Thank you so much for having me. Speaking of being honored and flattered, you two are such a power duo, and it is an honor to be your first guest. This is extremely exciting, and I'm always happy to talk about skin cancer awareness, especially as you launch during May, which is Skin Cancer Awareness Month. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Dr. Hale. Okay, so let's jump in. Of course, skin cancer diagnosis and treatment is part of being a dermatologist, but you definitely have this particular passion and expertise in it, which really shines through. I know Elise mentioned the Skin Cancer Foundation. I'm very honored to be on the committee this year for the gala. What is it about skin cancer prevention and treatment that particularly drives you, and where did that passion come from? It's a great question, and it is a part of my daily life as a dermatologist. Part of what drew me to dermatology itself is the fact that it is such a visual field and that the patients are very aware of what's happening and what may or may not belong on their skin. This makes it very different from all other sorts of cancers where, unfortunately, sometimes by the time a cancer presents, it's become symptomatic, it's often advanced, it may or may not still be treatable. The thing with skin cancer is that it often leaves its mark on the skin for both the physician, but also the patient to see. So I like that the patient is often so involved 
in diagnosing their own skin cancers, when we educate patients and people know what to look for, what may or may not belong on their skin, they can oftentimes come in and seek attention. The thing that's so unique about skin cancer is that it's almost always curable when it's caught early. And we really do have this unique potential to diagnose skin cancer at an early and completely curable stage, again, making it very different from other types of cancers. Also, it's one of the most preventable types of cancer because we know what causes it. We know that unprotected sun exposure is accounting for about 90% of skin cancers. So it's really valuable to me, and I feel very passionate because I can educate people how to prevent this most common type of cancer, and also how it can be treatable when it's diagnosed early. So that really makes it unique, and that's why I'm so passionate. And again, it's all about education, because if people know what to look for, they know to get their skin checked by a board-certified dermatologist. And I will reiterate that skin cancer is actually the most common cancer in the United States. So I think everybody should be checked. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, but that's why I'm extremely passionate. Yes, I all of that. And I will definitely say it's so interesting watching the different generations come through for their skin exams because as sunscreen has become more common, I feel like we're seeing less and less sun damage. And so your work is working. You guys both mentioned the Skin Cancer Foundation and you're both involved in the Skin Cancer Foundation before we get into like the practical tips. Thank you for asking, because first of all, Ian, I'm so glad that you are on the Skin Cancer Foundation Gala Committee with me. I'm one of the physician co-chairs again this year, and our event will be coming up next week, and we can talk more about that after. But I shall mention my mentor, Dr. Perry Robbins. After my residency training in dermatology at NYU, I was lucky enough to do a fellowship with Dr. Robbins, who founded the Skin Cancer Foundation. So basically, right from when I finished my training, I intimately became involved with the Skin Cancer Foundation because I saw firsthand his passion, his dedication. He is still very involved now, although he has stepped down as the president, but he's very involved. And his passion for early diagnosis, early treatment was really contagious. So I've been involved since I was a fellow. And basically for close to 20 years, I've been very involved. The best thing about the Skin Cancer Foundation is that in addition to providing knowledge to patients who may be diagnosed with skin cancer, there's also a lot of public outreach. So one of many things that I do, you know, I do a lot of media awareness with them, but I also participate in a Road to Healthy Skin Tour where there's an RV that actually goes throughout the country and we provide free skin examinations to anybody who wants to get their skin checked. And again, because skin cancer is so common and because it's often almost curable when it's caught early, that early detection is key. So people can go to skincancer.org if they want information about if you have a diagnosis of skin cancer, things you can look for, and also more about the free uh, skin tours that are provided. That's one of the things that really drew me to the Skin Cancer Foundation. I haven't publicly shared this before, but my grandma, I think I actually did publicly share it one time, but never like this. But I've always been very aware of skin cancer because since I've been a little boy, my grandma had a melanoma on her right leg. So she has a massive scar that I've noticed since I was little. So it's always been in my conscious and then becoming an esthetician and just kind of being into sunscreen since I was a little kid. I found out about the Skin Cancer Foundation and then the RV tour was like kind of one of my first touch points. I'm like, this is so cool. You know, a lot of people don't have access to dermatologists. So I think the fact that the Skin Cancer Foundation takes a bus around and like really puts it in front of people is so important. And 
we can all sit here and speak and say like wear your sunscreen get checked but just like actually having the physical practice is so pertinent. So I Absolutely. love that. Absolutely. And first of all, it shows that you've been wearing sunscreen since you're a young child. <laughs> yeah. Your skin is amazing. Oh, thank you. I'm staring at it now. <laughs> no one is more passionate about sunscreen than Ian. Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know if I should, I don't know if I can take that claim, <laughs> but uh, thank you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think now that we've kind of set that the foundation, I know Dr. Hill mentioned this, but anyone that's listening, you know, feel free to visit skincancer.org to learn more about the foundation and how you can get involved, make a donation, or just kind of learn all of the best sun safety tips. So we're going to start today's conversation really diving into melanoma. It is a serious topic, and we want to dive into why is it important to be aware of the risk of melanoma? What are those risk factors that can develop into that cancer? And then we'll end today's conversation with ways to detect melanoma and what are all the best ways to prevent your skin from getting a cancer. And then I think we're also going to probably mention a few of our favorite products because I'd love to mention my favorite sunscreens <laughs> today. I feel like we can't get away without doing that. Okay, so let's dive into skin cancer. So just for the audience, skin cancer is a very broad term and it includes melanoma and non-melanoma skin cancer. For the context of this conversation, we will focus on melanoma detection and prevention. So Dr. Hale, when you are talking to a patient and they say, what is melanoma? How do you answer that question? You bring up an excellent point. So a lot of people have heard of melanoma because it is potentially the most serious type of skin cancer. What's interesting is the non-melanoma skin cancers, namely basal and squamous cell carcinoma, are much more common. But because melanoma really needs to be diagnosed at that early stage, because if not, it's the one that has potential to spread throughout the body, to metastasize, and can actually result in death if it's not treated, people often know a lot about melanoma, even though it only represents about 4% of new skin cancer cases in the United States, the non-melanomas being much more common. That being said, melanoma is really the one that we want to increase awareness about because it is very common. And an interesting thing about melanoma is there are some peaks, specifically young women. So women by about age 20s to 30s, there's a peak of melanoma diagnosis related to tanning habits. Unfortunately, some people are still using indoor tanning beds, and that directly increases one chance for melanoma. Sunburns during youth and childhood increases your chance. So like the more cumulative cumulative lifetime damage one has, the more likely you are to get basal and squamous cell. Whereas melanoma does occur in younger individuals as well as people as they age. So melanomas, if I were to just describe them, they're oftentimes pigmented, not always. There's a rare subtype, but they're oftentimes dark marks on the skin. And when they are very superficial, and again, the most important thing is early diagnosis, because when they are confined to the upper levels of the skin, they are still considered potentially completely curable. The thing with melanoma is once it hangs around in the skin, it starts to invade deeper. And we measure these in fractions of a millimeter. Like we're talking even microscopic invasion. But once the melanoma starts to penetrate down through the epidermis, into the dermis and beyond, that's when it might gain access to blood vessels and lymphatic vessels. That's when it has potential to spread throughout the body. So the key is helping to educate everyone what to look for and how we can diagnose melanoma while it is still early and potentially completely curable. And I think that's such an important point where non-melanoma skin cancers are so common, but one of the things about melanoma is that once it's spread into the dermis, it can... I think one of the things that was most shocking to me 
to comprehend as a resident is it can spread anywhere, anyway. So it can spread through the blood. It can spread through the lymphatics. It is the most deadly cancer by size. And so it's one of those things where if you catch it early, it's just a skin problem almost. It's something that you... I send you to Dr. Hale and you have it removed and you just kind of go on with your day, whereas it can be a significant problem and a significant health concern if it's allowed to go deeper. So when we talk about melanoma diagnosis, how is it diagnosed? So when we try to educate people about what to look for in a mole or a lesion on their body, we talk about the A, B, C, D, E's of diagnosing melanoma. And this actually was developed this algorithm at NYU, um, where Dr. Love and I trained in dermatology, me before her, because then I <laughs> taught her at NYU. But it did initially, the ABCDs came out first, like back in the 70s, and then E was added around the time when I was a resident, actually. So A stands for asymmetry. So if you have a spot on your skin and one half of it does not look like the other half, there are not symmetrical halves, that is an asymmetric mole. B is for border irregularity. And when you look at a benign mole, it's usually like a smooth, even border. But if the border is actually jagged or notched or scalloped, we say, or, or just irregular, that could be a sign that that mole is not normal. It needs a biopsy. C is for color variability. So most benign moles are uniform in color. They tend to be tan, light brown, dark brown. But if you see a mole that has multiple different colors within it, and that can be shades of brown, you can even see signs of blue or red showing increased vascularity of a mole, or even white, which might signify regression, which means your body's trying to get rid of this abnormal mole. Those are signs that should be evaluated. D is interesting because for a long time, D stood for diameter. And we used to say if the mole was larger than a pencil eraser or six millimeters, that's concerning. First of all, we've gotten much better at diagnosing smaller melanomas, and we'll talk later about tools like dermoscopy, but we've gotten better at diagnosing smaller moles. But furthermore, and I actually co-wrote an article on this recently, I think D should stand for darkness or in addition to diameter, darkness. Because yeah. when you look at someone who's got a lot of moles and let's say they're all light tan to brown and then there's one jet black mole just standing out kind of like the ugly duckling, which we talk about, that's often a sign. Again, not all melanomas are darkly pigmented, but if you see one very dark black mole, even if it's not necessarily asymmetric or irregular in borders, that can be a sign of a melanoma. So now I've included with the Skin Cancer Foundation D for diameter or darkness. And lastly, and probably most importantly, is E, which stands for evolution. And that means something has changed recently. So if a patient comes into me and they say, I've had this mole in my arm for years, but recently it started changing, even if it still looks benign to me, I take that very seriously because, again, this is why I love and I'm so passionate about melanoma and skin cancer diagnosis. The patient can be involved in the whole situation. So if they notice a mole is changing, I will often remove that mole, even if it still looks benign, because the patient often can tell. So if the patient notices a change or if there's a mole that I've been following clinically, and I can tell either clinically or dermoscopically, which means with my handheld tool, that something has changed or looks irregular, that's a sign that it should be biopsied. Because, again, Having a biopsy is not a major procedure, but if it does diagnose a melanoma while it's still at that early stage, you can potentially save a life because it is still completely curable. Yeah, I mean, those are the best cases. Um, I can like think of a patient right off the top of my head where she came in and she was like, I've had this mole forever. 
it's now two colors. And we biopsy it. It comes back melanoma in situ, which means that it's completely on the top layer of skin. She gets surgery the next week. And we've been seeing each other for her routine skin exams. But, you know, this is just like a blip within her day. I mean, she gets all the credit, but it's a blip within like her like medical history versus being something that could have been a lot more serious. And when we talk about the ways to diagnose melanoma and recognize melanoma, I think the other thing that should be noted is that because it is so visual, it's helpful for yourself, but it also can be helpful for a partner. So my mother-in-law, like one of the first stories she ever told me was that my father-in-law had a dark mole that did not look like the rest of his moles on his back. And she was like, you should go to the derm. You should go to the derm. You should go to the derm. Good and he's like her. a guy. No, he's a guy. He's like, I'm not going. I'm not going. <laughs> and he went to the dermatologist because he had something going on with his finger. And she happened to know their dermatologist. And she texted him. And she said, look at Ted's back. And it turns out he had a melanoma. Wow. So it's one of those things. And we hear these cases where people are running a marathon and someone taps them on the shoulder. Mm-hmm. Someone's at a game. Someone taps them on the shoulder. Obviously, you shouldn't just go up to like... Right. Don't start diagnosing everyone on the street, but it it really can be helpful that if you're looking at the backs of your loved ones and you've seen something change, it's impactful for more than just yourself knowing these things. That's a great story. Good for your mother-in-law. I know. I think I published that a few years ago that oftentimes, especially with men, because melanoma is so common on the upper back, it's often the spouse or the partner that that finds these and we should take that seriously Definitely. and not resist it. I can always <laughs> tell how long my patients have been dating their significant other because in the beginning they come with like a list. They're like, oh, my girlfriend told me to get this checked out, but I don't remember. And then they're like, oh, my girlfriend wrote this down. Like I have to do it. And then by the time they're married, their wife is like circled things. Oh, oh my gosh, the circles, they come <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah, Like yeah. perfect, easy. <laughs> right. If it's an early melanoma, it's done as Dr. Love mentioned, by a dermatologist under local anesthesia. I do these procedures in my office all the time. If the melanoma has invaded, though, and has potential to spread, that's when the patient might see a surgical oncologist. That's when the lymph node might be removed, and then a further workup might be indicated. So in simple terms, anyone listening, if your girlfriend, boyfriend, partner, loved one, runner on the street says, <laughs> this looks weird. Just go see the dermatologist, guys, because exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's a serious topic. <laughs> yeah, and the, it looks weird thing to a stranger. So just a quick anecdote. As a dermatologist, because it's so visual, and I'm sure, Elise, you've dealt with this too, I've learned the more further in my career I am, unless I think something's melanoma, I don't get involved anymore. Because I have had situations <laughs> where like, I think I'm being nice and maybe point something out. Or like I've had a teacher in school where I've tried to offer like complimentary advice out of her skin and people don't always receive it so well. But I've been at water parks. I've been at random places. If I see something that I'm pretty sure is a melanoma, it's literally like our opportunity to save a life. So I've gone up to people, you know, at water parks and said, you have to get that checked out. So that's a real opportunity we have to like intervene and be helpful and not annoy people. (laughs) We want to help improve their skin. So melanoma essentially can be diagnosed, we would say in three ways. One, self-diagnosis. You can notice that something either is new and just doesn't fit in with the rest of your moles, has some concerning features and that A, B, C, D, E, or to a family member or a friend or a stranger comes up to you and says, you know, that looks suspicious. 
based off of my knowledge and refer you to a dermatologist. But then there's also the routine skin exam and it's something that you mentioned. So can you break down? Because I think a lot of times I always tell patients when they first come in for their first skin exam, I'm like, it's a little awkward. I know what's going on. You don't really know what's going to happen, but we're going to like make our way through it. Would you break down for people what happens in a routine skin cancer screening? Who needs to get them and how often they need to get them? Sure. I do recommend that every adult over the age of 18, regardless of their skin type or regardless of their ethnicity, everyone should have an annual skin examination because, again, skin cancer is so common. People often have other concerns anyhow. I think it's a great idea. If someone has had a personal or family history of melanoma or multiple other types of abnormal moles or skin cancers, I'll check them every six months. And one quick thing to mention while we talk about who should get checked, if you have had the misfortune of using tanning beds growing up, because hopefully no one's doing that anymore, although we know people are, but if you use tanning beds, don't be shy. You should tell your dermatologist because that alone is a specific risk factor for the development of melanoma. So even though now you might be better, it's important to tell your dermatologist if you use tanning beds or if you had sunburns as a child, because those two factors definitely put you at increased risk. So at least once a year, every six months, if you have any risk factors like we talked about. The skin examination is painless and pretty quick. And as you mentioned, Dr. Love, it can be a little awkward, especially the first time. One trick I learned, they're like, are you looking between my toes? And And I'm like, yes. (laughs) I have to show you a picture of a mole between the toes I just saw yesterday. So I usually start, and I learned this from Dr. Robbins, and I've stuck with it, that I start with the patient face down because they keep their underwear on. They're usually wearing a gown also. And I do start looking between the toes. I really, it's a visual examination. Sometimes it's also tactile, meaning like if there's areas of a lot of sun damage, like the top of a scalp of a man with not a lot of hair, I'll feel as well because sometimes other types of things like precancers, you feel before you see them. But you're really just checking kind of every inch of the body. And this is why it's important to come in because As much as we do recommend self-skin examinations, and I think everyone should familiarize themselves with their own moles, you're not really looking behind your ears in your butt crack and in between your toes. Someone else should do that for you. So it's really a visual inspection where we look at all of the skin, including, you know, the buttocks, behind the ears, the scalp. Then when the patient turns over, I find they already now have an idea of how thorough the exam is. (laughs) It's not painful, but, you know, they've kind of like warmed up to the fact, okay, she's about to check all my skin because skin cancer can occur everywhere. More common in sun-exposed areas, but it can occur everywhere, like the bottom of the feet and even like the genitalia. Then I also find that that tactic is useful for me because then I finish the exam on the face and I find over my years in practice, skin cancer is very common on the face not specifically melanoma as much as the non-melanoma, but skin cancers, precancers, but also patients often have, as Ian knows for sure, the most concerns about their facial skin. So then we sort of have finished the skin check. And then when we get to the face, if they also have questions, whether it be about sunspots or wrinkles or acne, like then we're kind of finishing there. So I like that approach. It's basically, again, a painless exam, but we do check very thoroughly every crevice and uh, even things like around the lips and the eyelid margins and things like that. It's a nice transition, you know. It's like, okay, check my skin, and then should I get some lip filler? I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, exactly, <yeah. laughs> that's what I would be. There asking. is always that while I'm here, yeah, and totally. so that's exactly correct. No one is ever upset that they went to the dermatologist, and so I also agree. I recommend once a year for mm-hmm. everyone because at the very best, your skin exam is super quick. You're right. out the door, and you're like, I'm super happy with my skin with no concerns. At the very worst, we catch a skin cancer and probably somewhere in between, you're like, great, I don't have skin cancer, but also 
I've been wondering about these things mm-hmm. because people wonder about so many things on their skin. Absolutely. And it's very rare that you're just like in front of a dermatologist unless you go right. see the dermatologist. Exactly. Exactly. And Ian brought up a good point because it's not even just such a, sometimes a coincidence that some comes for their skin check and they have another concern because we know that 90% of skin cancers are associated with sun exposure, but so are 90% of signs of premature skin aging. So I used to have a hard time reconciling, like, is my, am I more of my skin cancer mode today or am I lasering and, or Botox, you know, or botulinum toxin? But the truth is the same people, a lot of people who have sun damage are at risk for skin cancer, but they also often have brown spots and wrinkles they want to take care of. So there's a lot of overlap. I picture like the Venn diagrams, you know, but certainly a lot of, a lot of overlap. And not to like divert subjects, but there are certain treatments, like if you've had sun damage, even though you're not diagnosed with a cancer that could work towards making sure you don't develop that like Fraxel or other sorts of of skin treatments. Yeah. And so this is also more towards like the non-melanoma pathway, but certainly people who have a lot of sun damage, a lot of precancers, actinic keratosis, they can do lasers like Fraxel, photodynamic therapy. There are topical creams. I'm sure you guys will cover it in another episode. I'll look forward to listening. But there are definitely things that can be done. I'm happy to come back, (laughs) but to get rid of sun damage and make your skin look better, but also more healthy and getting rid of some of the precancerous cells. Yeah, and it's why I tell my 20-year-olds, they come in and everyone wants a retinol. I'm like, you will save yourself so much money. Sunscreen. You have to find the sunscreen that you like and you love. The best ingredient. I want to go back to something that you said because I find that this happens often with patients when I'm asking them about their risk factors. People don't realize that childhood sun exposure and childhood tanning bed exposure is a significant risk factor. So I'll say like, oh, like, do you use tanning beds? And they'll say, oh, not anymore. Have you ever had a blistering sunburn? Oh, not since I was young. And so when you talk about risk factors, what questions do you ask patients? So I think you bring up two really important points. So number one, yes, things that we did during childhood definitely can take their toll later. And as you mentioned, blistering sunburns during childhood or five or more sunburns of any type before adulthood, double your risk for melanoma. So it's definitely relevant that you've had sunburns, especially blistering sunburns. Also, tanning bed exposure. It's thought that tanning beds emit ultraviolet radiation that's 12 times more powerful than just like midday Florida sun, for example. And there is nothing good about tanning beds. So if you've been in them, don't that's be a ashamed. Lot. Oh my God. It's a lot. <laughs> but definitely it can increase your chance for melanoma by 75% if you visited tanning beds like as a teen or adolescent or young adult. So hopefully no one's doing that anymore. But those are important things to tell your doctor. But I often tell patients... Like sometimes people will say to me, but the damage is already done. It's and I'm like, no, this is not true. Like this is the like the most important take-home message is that this whole thing is really an ongoing cumulative process. Like even if you weren't careful, and I myself, although I cringe when I think of this, I used baby oil <laughs> and like I tried to get tan. Like when I was young, if someone said to me, You look so tan, I'd be like, Thanks. And now if a patient's like, You look a little tan, I'm like, No, I promise you I'm yeah. not tan. <laughs> I like, it's the bronzer, guys. It's the bronzer. It's a brush on SPF powder. Um, so I think like the whole mentality's changed. But importantly, according to the Skin Cancer Foundation, only about 25% of our lifetime damage occurs by adulthood. Like we used to think, oh, it's all done, but it's really an ongoing process. So it's never too late to start protecting your skin, wearing sunscreen every day. That will really cut down your risk for future skin cancers. And then just risk factors you also ask. So if someone, so anyone can get skin cancer and all skin types, we're seeing an increase in skin cancer among all skin types. As it relates to melanoma, although you can also see it in all skin types, it is definitely most common if someone has light hair, 
light eyes, light skin, a lot of freckling, and a lot of moles. Because people with multiple moles or nevi, people might have heard, heard the term atypical moles or dysplastic nevi, those put you at particular risk because you can get melanoma de novo, which means like in normal skin, but you can also, about 35% of melanomas develop in a pre-existing mole. So if someone has sunburn or intense sun exposure, if you have a lot of moles, those moles can actually change and become melanoma. So those people I also like to check every six months. So in terms of different skin types, I know you mentioned earlier in terms of like males getting it prevalent on their backs and referencing my grandmother had it on her leg. And then you talked about like the bottom of your feet or in between your toes. What are the differences whenever someone is of a higher Fitzpatrick than compared to, you know, you just referenced uh, someone who's like very fair with a lot of freckling. So skin cancers of all types are more common in the lighter Fitzpatrick skin types, which means like light skin, you know, skin type one would be someone very fair who is not even able to tan, burns easily. And then Fitzpatrick six is extremely dark skin with a lot of melanin, doesn't sunburn and maybe grew up thinking they didn't need sunscreen, which maybe you want to comment comment on. I don't know. Like when you were younger, (laughs) did you wear sunscreen? I did not wear sunscreen when I was younger. I, that's a really good question of when I started wearing sunscreen, probably when I was in medical school. When you yeah. got smarter. Exactly. Yeah. No, but it's true. I hear all the time. I have a lot of patients yeah. with dark skin and they think, well, I didn't think I need sunscreen. And even if we can talk about melanoma in, in people with darker skin in a second, but as of course you both know, people with darker skin also, you may not sunburn, but in addition to having a risk for skin cancer, but even much more commonly risk for pigmentation and hyperpigmentation. And these things can be very upsetting to patients. So I, you know, sunscreen is like the common denominator. Everything, whatever skin (laughs) I'm treating, old, young, light, dark, that's the one thing everyone knows. Like we should wear sunscreen every single day to prevent skin cancer, to help minimize pigmentation, even wrinkles, sunspots. So for sure. But you mentioned um, under the feet and between the toes. So there's a rare subtype of melanoma called acral lentiginous melanoma, which occurs on the palms and soles, more commonly on the soles. I always, I'm sure you probably share this with patients too, but Bob Marley actually died from melanoma of underneath his toe, and he died around age 37. And I always think it's important people realize that because it's like that one sentence teaches so much. It's like, Number one, yes, Black people can get melanoma. Yes. Number two, you can die from melanoma if it's not treated. And in his case, at least the legend of of, of the legend yes. is that he played a lot of soccer and it was written off that he had a bruise and maybe it was just a bruise and it was like ignored for a while. And by the time finally treatment was sought, it was too late and it was advanced. So it's like young people can get skin cancer. You can get it on your toes. Black people can get it. And you can die from melanoma if it's not treated. So it's just like... Yes. All of that. The fact he was only 37 is crazy That's too, so right? Because he, he was so just young and so accomplished. And that is also when we talk about skin cancer and skin of color, it's one of the things is I find that people of darker skin types aren't aware that they can get skin cancer. Mm-hmm. And so they often present later and they're often diagnosed later. And so it actually can be more fatal just from like the statistics number because of the fact that there isn't this awareness of, oh, I have this like dark streak within my nail or I should go to a dermatologist and get this checked out. It's just kind of thought of like, oh, that looks different, but I'm not worried about it being cancer. Exactly. I definitely would say like at least yearly I diagnose a skin cancer like on the nail, near the nail and um, someone my skin type who's in their 30s. I've been thinking in the nails a lot recently because there's a lot of people that get, you know, like acrylics or whatever done to their yeah. nails and they're constantly 
with polish mm-hmm. and that's fine like you know yeah. I, love, I love fashion myself but it's kind <laughs> of like you almost like never see it as a dermatologist you would almost like never see what the skin looks like under under that if someone never doesn't have their nails done. That's a really a point. I prefer when patients come in for routine skin exams that they not have polish, but oftentimes the first time they just don't know that that's a um, thing to do. So I do counsel that when I see patients. If they have a gel, I say, you know, next time you get your nails done, just like take a look Mm -hmm. at your nails before you get them done again. If you're doing them yourselves, just take a quick second. That's the whole thing with the self-exams. It's all about just like taking this quick second to look at your skin and be aware of what's normal for you. But I do actually actively counsel patients on that. And that's important for people who are listening to think about too. I agree wholeheartedly. I say the same thing. Every time if you get a manicure, pedicure, look at your nails before they repaint. And I also recommend, and you can get them on Amazon, these like gloves I was about to show you. I literally have them with me, like just cotton gloves and I cut the nails. It's not perfect, but like any lamp, even like the lower energy UV, the LED, like I, I put on my first sunspot, my only sunspot on the back of my hand is probably (gasps) from my my gel manicure. Oh my gosh. We'll put your sunscreen on and then your gloves. Yes, that's a little exposed skin around your nail. Well, I'm sure we've maybe caused a little bit of anxiety (laughs) with people. This is a very serious topic. Yes. So maybe we'll inject some lightheartedness and and resources as well as obviously all of today's education and awareness around the topic. So let's review how all of our listeners today can be proactive about melanoma prevention and detection. So first off, what should everyone be doing now to protect our skin from the sun? And I'll just let both, since I'm sitting in front of two brilliant doctors, I think you both (laughs) should chime in on this one. Absolutely. You want me to start? So first of all, and if we did cause any anxiety among the listeners, I want people to leave with a take-home message that to feel empowered, like skin cancer is almost always curable and just familiarize yourself with your moles, wear the sunscreen, get your skin checked. Because even if you do get skin cancer, it's usually totally curable as long as it's caught early. So they should feel optimistic about that and everyone should get to know their moles. Should I re... re okay, everyone, I'm sure we've given everyone a lot of feelings of empowerment today <laughs> around feeling confident Perfect. in the topic. Is that better? Perfect. <laughs> A little anxiety, a lot of empowerment. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so as far as what they should do, I think, and we, I know you two want to talk about some sunscreens specifically, but the best sunscreen I tell patients is the one you'll actually use. So I think everyone, regardless of your age, your gender, your skin type, you know, we are skin, your skin history, everyone should try to think about wearing sunscreen every single day, 365 days a year. And without going into the whole lecture, that's because even though you may not sunburn if you have darker skin, or even if you have lighter skin, you might not sunburn in less your, you know, in the summertime or on a vacation. However, ultraviolet A rays penetrate year round. They penetrate through clouds, through windows, even in the wintertime. And the UVA rays, we call them, contribute to skin cancer development, but also, as we know, break down collagen, contribute to hyperpigmentation and all these other undesirable things. So a broad spectrum sunscreen, I recommend SPF 30 or higher. And of course, remembering to reapply, which we can talk about when we talk about products, but you can add Dr. Love. Yeah. So I also, I say SPF 30 for normal day-to-day, SPF 50 if you're going to be in high sun exposure. I think also something that just doesn't get a lot of attention is sun protective clothing. Mm-hmm. Like I have patients who are like, I just can't not, t- I can't not burn. I can't not burn if, um, but they love going to the beach. They love to be in like high sun exposure activities. And so sun protective clothing kind of 
you still put sunscreen underneath it, but you don't necessarily, you're not as reliant on that like every two hour reapplication because you have a physical barrier. I'm a big fan of sun protective clothing. I've complete, I will never be at a beach without long sleeves and and a hat and sunglasses, but I swim in the ocean with them. I also found it so interesting with the whole controversy about certain ingredients that might not be reef friendly, like in sunscreen. Like if you're wearing sun protective clothing, it's good for everyone. It's better protection. It doesn't wear off and it's reef friendly. (laughs) So for everyone Um, listening, sun protective clothing often is referred to as UPF clothing. Yes. um, Which is just a different rating scale compared to sunscreen, but it still stands for, um, not to get in the weeds, but it's basically just saying the fabric is protecting your skin like sunscreen would. Exactly. Ultraviolet protection factor. And they also make really cute bathing suits these days too. Long sleeve bathing suits is the other um, thing. And then I also just think sun of av- I love sun avoidance. <laughs> like that's one of my favorite ways of sun protection. So we know that there are certain days that the UV index is higher. You can actually check what your UV index is on a daily basis. But you also can avoid like doing high sun exposure activities between 12 and 2. So we were just on vacation and we went hiking at noon. And I was like, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> this is the worst thing a dermatologist can do. But you can choose to instead of go hike. Instead of going hiking at 12, go hiking at 3.30. Go hiking at 4. Maybe enjoy the sunset at the beach instead of enjoying the... Or the sunrise. Yes, exactly. Like early. <laughs> Those are like the most beautiful moments to me. So yeah, I think that that like doesn't get as much attention also. I think you bring up a great point because so many times someone will come in like really tan. They're like, well, I was just away. And I'm like, they're like, but I wore sunscreen. I'm like, wearing sunscreen doesn't give you a free pass to lie out. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's great. And sunscreen is paramount importance, but you shouldn't like spray yourself and then lie in the sun. You also should try to seek the shade when possible. Avoid the peak hours like Dr. Love mentioned. You know, try, do your best to try to not get intense sun exposure. If you get a little tanner, like that's okay. But I think really it's part of the picture. The sunscreen, the hat, the sunglasses, the shade when possible and the sun protective clothing. Also, you said spray. I feel like I've seen so many people on a beach where they're like spraying and then I'm like, the oh my gosh, it's all in the wind. It's <laughs> yeah. like none of it hits them. Yeah. It's like a couple drops and I'm like, go out of the wind and get it on your body. <laughs> yes. But Yes, that's always a, a controversy. I say to apply indoors in a well-ventilated area when when it comes to sprays. That's a good right, one. Because that drives me crazy. It's I say spray. Away. Yeah, spray in your hand and then apply it to your body. Because um, sprays are so convenient, um, especially when you're like out and about. I know you're super active. Is there anything in particular that you do or like any tips? Like yesterday, my husband was putting on sunscreen before run. He's like, oh, I got it on my forehead. Oh, no, it's going to like drip in my eyes. Like, do you have any special running? Yeah, I guess two tips that we haven't mentioned yet, especially when it comes to like being active outdoors. So as we mentioned, some protective clothing, it's patients sometimes look at me like I'm crazy when I suggest <laughs> this, but I do wear long sleeves whenever possible, even for my long runs and even in the summer. But we didn't talk about sun vitamins yet, and I'm yes. a huge fan. Um, they, As far as the actual SPF they provide, it's really quite low and maybe the equivalent of about an SPF 4. Yeah. But these are vitamins that contain a extract from a fern from South America called Polypodium leucomatis. And there, it, it provides some endogenous sun protection, but also some antioxidants, some like repair enzymes. So I always take one before a long run. In fact, in the summer on a vacation, I always take a sun vitamin and I have my kids take a sun vitamin in the morning now too. You still need sunscreen on top, but I find yes. that helpful. And then the lips I want to mention because oh, yeah. the lips are an area that gets sun exposure every single day. And, you know, especially before a long run or being outdoors, a lip balm with SPF is very important because 
lip glosses without SPF actually attract the sun. You know, lipsticks are a little better because they're opaque, but like certainly a lip product with SPF is very important, especially for outdoor activities. And then for uh, your husband's concern, I would say a hat is better. I mean, I do put sunscreen on and I wait, you know, 20 minutes before running, but definitely a hat and sunglasses are key too. That's one product category that I feel like is getting more innovation, the lips, but Mm -hmm. there's still so many people that are being diligent, like, oh, yeah, I'm using sunscreen every day. Like, you know, people are using it on their neck, their chest, all the the things. Any, you know, I always say, like, any skin that's exposed, like, put sunscreen. But I feel like, yeah, the lips, Mm -hmm. people, that's, I don't think that's something people are thinking about right now. The lips, the ears, and the eyes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so people aren't putting sunscreen on their lips. They're not putting sunscreen on their ears. And those are, I mean, your ears are getting just as much sun. Depends on how big they are. They may be getting more sun than like the rest of your and face. how short your hair is. Yeah, right. exactly. Like men are at very high. And the scalp. Yep. If you have an exposed mm-hmm. scalp, those are areas that are commonly missed. And so they're really common areas for skin cancer. And then also both the eye itself and the under eye, which is where sunglasses can be super helpful. And then I do also recommend to patients, any patient who says like, I just like cannot not burn. I always recommend the sun vitamin. I do HelioCare. I always say two tablets before high sun exposure activity. And like we use them before long runs and like tennis and all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. And I have to ask, okay, so Dr. Hale, and then what about antioxidants for for the day? I am a big fan of antioxidants. In two ways. First of all, I do really believe also as far as eating, the more colorful your diet is, the more antioxidants that it does contain. And just for skin disease, but also for just overall organ health, body health, I think eating a lot of colorful fruits, vegetables, and staying hydrated is very important. But from a topical perspective, I am a big fan of antioxidants. I usually recommend applying them to a clean face first thing in the morning underneath your daily sunscreen. There are so many great antioxidants. People talk about vitamin C, vitamin E. I'm a big fan of superoxide dismutase, which is an enzyme that does help to function as an antioxidant. And when you talk about antioxidants, we talk about how they quench free radicals. So things like overexposure to the sun, pollution, smoke, environmental toxins, all these things generate free radicals that wreak havoc on our skin. So antioxidants can help to quench those free radicals and prevent some of the damage. So I'm a huge fan every single day I put it on underneath my sunscreen. And if I'm going to work out and not even outdoors yet, I still will put on an antioxidant serum because I do believe when you're sweating and your pores open up, you absorb it better. So yeah, I'm a huge fan. I'm going to get a little nerdy because I love the antioxidant comment, (laughs) but in terms of quenching, and correct me if I'm wrong because you are the derm expert here, Dr. Hale. So quenching essentially, okay, the sun's coming in, it's hitting me, the pollution, we live in New York all these uh, free radicals essentially entering the skin and spinning around and causing damage to the cell. So I always like to say, think of a little free radical as like a little twirling thing in your skin, mm-hmm. just like cycling around and re- wrecking havoc. You know, yeah. just looking to... It's like yeah. the, to, is it the progressive like, thing? Like, like, what? The progressive thing? That causes havoc everywhere it goes. Oh, I don't know. I just think of like a little spinning <laughs> like ball that's just like almost like a little tornado. It's like a little mini tornado like in your skin. Commercial. Oh, you're talking about the progressive commercials? They're so I don't know funny. if it's progressive. I think it's all C. I can't remember who it is, but it's the guy and like everywhere he goes, he's he causes havoc. havoc. Oh, Maybe that's I've the all that. guy. Yeah. That's I don't funny. know. I don't know. But those progressive but commercials. That's a good anyway, analogy. Yeah. Back to back to this, <laughs> guys, I swear this this podcast is not sponsored by Allstate, but <laughs> I gotta mention. Um but it's so it's like a little mini tornado like spinning around in your skin and then the antioxidant, you know, referencing eating a healthy diet, topically applying it or taking a supplement. 
those antioxidants pair mm-hmm. like chemistry um, with the free radical mm-hmm. and essentially neutralize it. Right. So they essentially are like the little anti-tornado stopper. Yeah. That's okay. cute. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I just wanted like yeah, you know, as the derm it's to like free confirm radical that. trying to attach itself to something and cause damage, and yeah. then the antioxidant can attach itself and yeah, neutralize yeah. the damage exactly. I so, tell everyone, no sunscreen is a hundred percent effective, and so you want your antioxidants on board to kind of catch that like three percent that's going to get through your sunscreen. But you have to have your sunscreen because it's not good enough to negate the effects of no sunscreen. Correct. Okay, so I feel like we've talked about what is melanoma, risk factors for melanoma, what it looks like, skin exams. So I feel like people are going to want to know about favorite sun protective clothing, favorite SPFs, all of those things. Ian, I feel like you are the sunscreen. I don't know. I mean, I'm Dr. <laughs> Hill's tested more than me, but I do have I don't it. know if anyone has tested more sunscreen than you, honestly. I do have a whole drawer dedicated to trying <laughs> yeah. all new sunscreen launches. But. So what is your, like, favorite, like, go-to SPF products or sun protector products? Oh, gosh. I, anytime I get asked this for any product category, I always just, like, try to visualize my ca- cabinet. Because <laughs> in full transparency, I do get sun products. I'm always yeah. trying new things. So it's in rotation. I use a lot of LTMD, UV Sheer, UV Clear. I use UV Sheer a lot of times on body. Okay. Depends. I use some Super Goops. Vacation has a really lovely smelling sunscreen as well. That's a very campy, fun brand. It's becoming very popular. Yeah. I'm the chief medical advisor. I don't know if you know that. Oh, my gosh. Well, Look at that. Oh my but gosh, it's great. Well, They're making sunscreen fun, which is like what makes me Exactly. So very I cool. Always, I always like to say, like, I like to make sunscreen sexy, and I feel like they're making sunscreen sexy. Totally. So. Yeah. No, they definitely are. Um, they even have but, a baby oil. Just came out. They with did. This. Oh, I, I did that. see yeah, that. Which is exciting. Because like, like those of us who cringe picturing the, the like whipped cream, cherry mm-hmm. sunscreen. That's just way too fun. Like I love it. I can come back with more racks, but day to day I'm normally grabbing like a UV clear, UV sheer from Elta MD. Yeah. Um, but there's mm-hmm. tons that I try and test. Yeah. I agree you, with Dr. those Hale? recommendations. I personally do reach for something with zinc oxide, and Elta MD makes a great transparent zinc oxide. So I wear that every day on my face. Um, I do like the Vacation brand sunscreens for the body. But again, I think whatever sunscreen you use is the best one because we want people to want to use sunscreen. But I will also make a plug for ease of reapplication products because I think putting sunscreen on in the morning is important for everybody. The key is that reapplication, especially if you're outdoors for prolonged periods, because as dermatologists, we recommend every two hours more if you're sweating or toweling off. And sometimes that's not necessarily realistic that people are going to reapply. So if someone's already wearing makeup, I like that there are powders, like Color Science makes a great brush-on powder um, with SPF 30 or SPF 50, but it can make it easier to reapply. Vacation actually just came out with a super spritzer that can go over makeup, you know, if for people that don't want to take makeup off to reapply sunscreen. So I think anything that eases the application and reapplication is key. As far as sun protective clothing, I really like the Mott 50 line for sunscreen yeah. or sun clothing with UPF 50, like you mentioned. My new favorite long sleeve bathing suits are by Cynthia Rowley, and those also have high UPF. Ooh, they're I like stuff. They're a little more pricey, but they're like cute and flattering. And I don't say that much when it comes yeah. to bathing suits, <laughs> but they are. And then, um, yeah, those are the two lines I wear. But even like Nike Under Armour, like they make shirts now that are long sleeves and breathable with UPF. So I'm a big fan of that. I love all of those recommendations. What about you, Elise? So I 
am definitely like a Supergroup stan. Yeah. I would say like, and the reason is because I would say Supergroup play changed. Like when we go back to when I started wearing sunscreen, I would say that that sunscreen, when I discovered that sunscreen changed how often I wore sunscreen. And that gets back to the best sunscreen is the one that you wear. When I found that formula, I was like, wow, this is like lotion. It goes on so easy. I can actually apply it every day and not feel like I'm applying something super thick. So that would be like my go-to for body. It's been my go-to for like, oh my God, a decade. That's a long time. Um, Go-to for face. I would say I rotate. I really like the Isden Tinted Sunscreen, SPF 50, Zinc Oxide. I think that that's one of the best tinted, mineral tinted sunscreens for skin of color. And then I also like Supergoop Every Single Face and then Ultim D UV Clear. Those are like, can't go wrong. And then I mentioned earlier, I think HelioCare. It's like great for kind of when you're doing... I think everyone should have fun in the sun, especially like we live in New York. It's -hmm. like, it's so cold for so long. And like, you should definitely like enjoy spring, enjoy summer, like be out with your friends. And so just having like an extra protector, extra layer. So I would say. And Isden makes a great sun vitamin also called Sun Isden. Okay. I have to check that out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the sun vitamins are like a great way to add antioxidant support. It's also great for people who are struggling with pigmentation and melasma Mm -hmm. who need like a little SPF. So I would say those are my favorite. And then I don't know if I have a favorite lip balm, but the one I've been wearing lately has been the Supergoop Unseen lip balm. I've been wearing Naked Sundays. So you're like from Australia. Oh, they have a lip I haven't o- tried that. It's like an SPF lip oil. Oh, which interesting. Has been, and I know Vacation has a lip that I've been chapstick lately. I want to try. And I also like the Sobari. It's another sun protective um, brand. From Australia, they have well, they have a lot of products. They have one of their bucket hats, but then they have like little driving gloves, mm-hmm. or they're just like gloves. But I use them right. if I'm in a car. Yeah. yeah. Um. So you know, people are like, "You're so obnoxious," and I'm like, <laughs> "It's not like I'm wearing them on the street all the time." But if you're right. gonna be yet. sitting in a, if you're gonna <laughs> yet, <laughs> if you're gonna I mean, sitting, I do actually use like when car. I'm at home in Alabama, I will use like an umbrella. Like yeah. I yeah. love I protection 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 but yeah i think that that was such a great and thorough conversation it was so great yeah do you, do you guys think that we missed anything i mean we could i think all of us are sitting here like <laughs> we could just keep going and we're it was gonna like, keep how talking do, offline how do we, but we're gonna let you guys like, go <laughs> you know dr hale we really appreciate you being here and being our inaugural so much our inaugural episode it's on beauty curious so i'm very curious to see how it evolves i'm so excited <laughs> for both of you i can't wait to listen to every episode yeah we're, while i run in my long sleeves okay. <laughs> yeah, we're really hoping like and you know whether you're a seasoned professional in the skin beauty space or you're a patient and you're just curious like how do i prevent melanoma or What's like this, the new treatment that's on the market? You know, we're really just hoping that we can drive conversation around a lot of these things that go viral on social media and need a bit more explanation than a quick little social video. I I agree wholeheartedly. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm always so happy to be in a room with you. And thank you guys for hanging out with us and for listening. I hope this conversation was super helpful. But like we said, if there are some questions that we brought up that we didn't fully answer, or you're like, I am super into melanoma and prevention and research, um, go to skincancer.org to learn more. And then if you're looking for Dr. Hale, um, you can find her on Instagram. Do you want to plug your Instagram? Sure. My Instagram is Hale.
And you can also just make an appointment with her at Complete Skin MD. You will have to wait because she is the best that there is. Aww, but so it will be worth it. One last plug for the foundation that Ian and I are co-chairing yes. next week, May 10th, at Ziegfeld Theater in New York City. So come join us. And if you're not able to join us, but you're passionate about the topic and would like to make a donation, you can find that link on the foundation's website as well. So Absolutely. Thank you all. Thank Bye, you. guys. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck to you both. Thank you for spending time with us today. Please leave us a review if this topic helped you feel smarter, calmer, and more confident about your beauty decisions. You can engage with us more personally on Instagram. See you next episode.